0: Welcome back to Adventures in Advising. I'm your host Matt Markin, and this is Episode 64 with guests Dr. Kelsey Kosin from Columbia College Chicago, Becky Ryan from University of Wisconsin Madison, and guest host Jamie Engel from DePaul University. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow our socials at Advising Podcast. Welcome again to Episode 64. it's august we're more than halfway through the year and for some of us fall semester is quickly approaching where did the time go seriously as we ponder that let's also get to the first interview of episode 64 and that's with dr kelsey cosin dr cosin has been an academic advisor for over four years currently serving as the advisor for music at columbia college chicago Kelsey began her career in academic advising as an advisor for the School of Music at Ball State University, where she also completed a Doctor of Arts in Music. Kelsey believes in developing meaningful connections with students through intrusive and holistic advising. Her mission in advising is to help each student realize their potential, articulate their dreams and visions for the future, and to remind them that they belong. Kelsey is a proud first generation graduate, so she is particularly interested in first generation student success. Kelsey wants to help these students understand their identity in being first-gen while also helping them understand how to navigate the obstacles that come along with pursuing a college degree. Kelsey enjoys being part of Nakata community and currently serves as the chair for the Advising First-Year Students Advising Community and has published articles in Nakata's e-journal Academic Advising Today. When she is not advising, Kelsey is also pursuing a career in performance and teaching voice in Chicago. Beyond Advising and Music, Kelsey's greatest joys in life are her family, including her husband and two sons. Kelsey, welcome to Adventures in Advising. Hello. Glad that you're here. And, you know, I know you're a longtime listener of the podcast. So first, thank you so much for for that. And, you know, you you had mentioned uh, when we had talked before that, you know, you've listened to this podcast and it's been impactful for you. So for you personally, you know, what has it been about the podcast that's been impactful?
1: For me, the podcast is this virtual community. I, I know that there's all of these advisors out there that exist and we do the work uh, and this podcast brings us together. So I find it I, I find it to be my uh, source of coming together uh, virtually, not you know, maybe via the radio meeting, <laughs> meeting uh, my uh, fellow advisors and uh, hearing stories. i'm I'm a big storyteller. Um, and I love to hear others tell their story uh, as a way to connect. And this podcast has been that that uh, that place for me to connect.
0: Yeah. And it's been great for me as well. Like you're doing these interviews and then actually getting to meet people at conferences and be like, hey, we did this podcast virtually and now I get to see you in person. So hopefully I get to see you at a conference down the road as well. And, you know, I'm really excited for listeners to hear your background because, you know, all your degrees are in music. You know, you've wanted to teach music and also perform and then you fell in love with advising so tell us your story
1: yeah so yeah my background is in music it's it's forever been music and then i uh Go to Ball State uh, to pursue my Doctor of Arts. And it happened to be that timing was beautiful. Um, some would say accidental advisor, but for me, I think it was fate. Um, I was finishing up my Doctor of Arts degree, and um, the position for uh, the academic advisor for the school music became available. And um, several colleagues and uh, faculty reached out and encouraged me to apply. And the rest is history. I, um, I, settled into the position and it was, you know, it was very natural uh, coming into the role. And um, so I was at Ball State for three years. And just over that time, I really uh, started to see that while music is my passion, um, helping students is right up there with, with uh, music for me. So this has been a really cool adventure because I kind of get to do the best of uh, both worlds. I get to do what I love, which is help students and also uh, pursue music and help students who are musicians, who are going to be the next generation of performers and teachers. So it was really perfect, kind of.
0: Yeah, it's like when we tell students or, you know, we hear from others or, you know, whether it's on social media or watch these videos and, you know, people are always saying, like, follow your passions or, you know, see if you can combine, like, what you do, what you love to do, you know, maybe that can be that career. And in a way, you're able to combine a lot of that. So that's really awesome. Oh, yeah. And then we also have a couple of mutual friends in common. So, like, both, um, you know, had previously worked at Columbia College Chicago, and that was uh, Jessica, J.J. Jensen, and James Alford. And um, they've also been previous podcast guests. And, you know, you actually know them. So, you know, tell me about knowing Jessica and James, because I believe you actually... New jessica from like your previous institution
1: yeah uh so i'll give a shout out to both of them uh their their episodes were two of my favorites they will always be uh so yeah jessica and i we actually met at ball state jessica was the academic advisor for theater and i was working over music and um we actually found out quickly um upon meeting that we're actually neighbors we lived like a block away from each other. Uh, so we started to develop a friendship and, um, she's become one of my greatest friends. Um, and then she happened to move to, uh, Columbia and start her career there. And I, I, I came along for the journey and, um, we, we still, uh, we still communicate all the time. And we actually collaborated, uh, last year at the, uh, Nakata national, uh, or sorry, annual conference. My apologies. Uh, James, I met him, when I started at Columbia last year. And um, so I just feel lucky that I had both of those colleagues and uh, they both uh, inspire me in all they do. They're awesome.
0: Yeah. I love both of them. And, you know, speaking of, you know, Jessica and James, they, you know, previously worked at the institution you're at right now. So at Columbia College Chicago, and it's been a while since they've both been on the podcast. So for listeners that maybe are, you know, just remember a little bit of their interviews or haven't checked those out. Um, Can you talk to us about how you would describe your institution, how you would describe Columbia College Chicago and your role um, as an academic advisor for music?
1: Yeah. So if I had to describe Columbia, I would say it's a community of creatives, the students, the faculty, the staff. Uh, So I have found my little piece of uh, heaven. I fit in here. Um, The students are just so incredibly talented. Um, You know, there's. There's um, so many different majors across the college, uh, but there is a piece um, in every major for the students to really pour into their creative side. Um, and so, for me as the advisor in music, um, that helps me to really connect with my students to help them um, as they're you know articulating their path, but also to be a part of their musical journey. Um, yeah, that's. I'd say that's probably the best part about being here. and one of the you know defining things about Columbia is that students come here to create uh, to have that freedom, that artistic freedom and um, really mold themselves into who they are as artists. So uh, and I feel like as the advisor, I too am um, still on that journey of kind of molding who I am as an advisor and and blending in that artistic side along the way.
0: You know, I guess that's even a great point because, you know, we're always still learning. We're always still growing. You know, I think sometimes, you know, when we're younger or our students that are just starting out think it's like, okay, I got to get to a certain point. Then I'll, you know, have my degree, get my job, have that be my career. And I, you know, I basically stop at that point, And I just, you know, go through the day to day. You know, how do you help students understand, particularly, I guess, maybe particularly with your students uh, for music? that it's going to always be this creative process, it's always going to be changes.
1: You know, I am very honest with my students. Um, most, mostly that's for the good. <laughs> um, I always kind of gauge if they want to hear my story, but, you know, I kind of ex- share my experiences as, as a working musician and as a professional academic advisor that, um, you know, every opportunity you have is a chance to, to grow and to, uh, you know, really dig into who you are as uh and whatever role you're seeking to grow in, um so for me, that is, um, you know, from a performing perspective, I'm really open with students about the process. Um, you know, that we make mistakes too, even when we're considered professional, and that we we have to take those opportunities to really uh, dig through the challenge and uh, you know, come out stronger by really recognizing those those challenges, those shortcomings. Um, and that is really. I think it's valuable that I share those experiences with students to let them know early on in their academic careers that like you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to hit that bump in the road, but you take that moment to grow. You take that moment to get through uh, to the other side. And, um, you know, as an academic advisor, I learn from my students, um, you know, there there's those moments where you feel like I've got this. I got my. Uh, you know, I have my philosophy perfectly on my little piece of paper. I'm ready to do this. And then I meet a new student who has a completely different story, um, completely different needs. And it's a learning opportunity for me. So I'm reminded every single day that the journey is not over. There is still a lot to learn. And um, my students get to share those experiences.
0: And, you know, you're talking about a lot of opportunities. I and mean, we're going to definitely talk a lot about different opportunities that have happened for you, both um, um, in advising and outside of advising. Uh, throughout this interview. And one of those has been like writing articles. Um, I know we're going to talk about uh, a certain uh, story with uh, music, uh, you know, with with your career. Um, But one of the things that we're talking about too, uh, before we started recording, um, and maybe this could be considered opportunity, uh, but it's definitely dealing with change is, you know, you've been at, having worked at different institutions, uh, you've worked at institutions that one was a decentralized um, advising model and then one that is a centralized advising model. For those that are like, what would be the differences with those, and and what was that like? Can you talk about uh, both those institutions and those different advising models, and kind of how you maneuver through those?
1: Yeah. So my first experience, uh, my first position in advising was uh, decentralized. So I was very much connected to the department that I was working in, the music department, um, the school music, excuse me. And um, I was very connected with the department, um, in just kind of like the everyday motion of everything. And then, so coming to Columbia where we're all, you know, centralized, um, I had to, I had to kind of adjust it. It was a period of adjustment, but for the good, um, I think what, what was uh, beneficial to me was having connections with my colleagues to be in a space where we're connected that our students have a centralized space to uh, come to, um, I definitely miss having my, my home within the music department. Um, and here I'm lucky at Columbia, I'm lucky that I have two offices so I can kind of get my students wherever they need me. Um, but as far as, you know, transitioning to a centralized office, I think the, the benefit of it is, um, having, I guess, a closer physical connection to your colleagues, you know, to just pop over and ask questions or say hello. Um, so the connection's a big plus, um, I'd, I'd say for me, the hardest part for me was just adjusting to not being in a space where my students were living. In. And, and that's, you know, that's the part that was, I felt like I had to say goodbye to it, but I, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm lucky here because I get to do a little bit of both. Um, and I think that that would probably be some of the, the perks and, you know, the challenges of uh, switching from decentralized to centralized. but I think you can find good in both. Um, I think it just takes time. And um being aware of you know your colleagues and, and your students as these uh, structures change.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fantastic way to put that. And did I hear you correctly? You have two offices.
1: I have two offices. <laughs> I my music office currently is very sad because I'm mostly in my in my office within the uh, college advising center. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to spend the next year uh, sprucing up the music office. But yeah, I have both, and um, what's nice is I have you know, regular hours here in the college advising center. And then I can walk over to the music building, um, and offer open, you know, drop-ins. And, um, that's been a really cool way to, uh, connect with students, uh, in this past year, especially with everything happening, happening with COVID-19, um, to have that ability to connect with my students, I couldn't have asked for, um, a better situation and a, you know, opportunity to meet with them.
0: Yeah. Cause I remember uh, when we got to interview uh, James, like he had started um, either like right as COVID happened with the pandemic. And so a lot of his training and meeting with students was just all virtual. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. So. I, I was on the tail end of that and I'm holding yeah. my breath, that nothing crazy happens. But I was also in a, t- you know, last year was nice where we had a little bit of we had some windows that were okay for, uh, you know, for me to meet the students. And I know that the students appreciated seeing someone face-to-face. And for me, on the other side of the desk, I was so happy to see an actual student sitting in front of me.
0: Yeah, you know, so I funny you say that because uh, just a few days ago, I had a student. Um, and they live, you know, they said they lived about like 35, 40 minutes away. And I said, you know, we do offer uh, virtual, like Zoom, uh so that way you don't have to, you know, travel if you don't want to. And, you know, he had said that he wanted to make a point to come in to actually like talk to someone, you know, see them in person for for me to meet them, you know, because they're a new student and they just wanted to actually just be on campus. Um, and I was like, that's, yeah, I agree. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) And let's talk about opportunities. So, um, You know, you again, we've talked about how, you know, uh, Jessica, and you've actually gotten to work with Jessica, um, present uh, together and also write an article uh, and publish together. So one of those was on social media. Um, Can you talk about that experience about um, kind of creating a presentation and then going through the process for publication?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so this was, a, this was such a fun experience. Jessica and I, um, back at Ball State, we even had these early conversations about how, um, you know, e- email is the way to go in communicating with students. And we were just struggling to figure out a way to connect with students on a different level. Um, and so that is, that is where our presentation found its roots, um, making connections with students, uh, meaningful connections uh, via social media. So, yeah, we started off with a presentation and um, we kind of talked about how we had both used social media as a way to um, connect with students. And so uh, Jessica uh, was using um, Instagram as a way to connect, and I found a home with YouTube. And so we presented last October at uh, the annual conference. And then after the conference, you know, we had that excitement. We're like, we just did it. Oh, this is awesome. What do we do next? And Jessica and I are both very much like, go getters, what's next, you know, we're, we're ready. And so our energy together was awesome. We had our uh, script for the uh, presentation, we wrote out an entire script. And you know, I'm kind of just holding it thinking, you know, what can we do with this? This is so awesome. And, um, we, we both decided that this, this could make a perfect outline for the first draft of an article. Um, you know, we kind of just mold over the information and it kind of perfectly fell into these sections. Um, so this, this script became an outline, uh, which became our, our, our article. We, um, we worked on it together and at that time, um, yeah she was uh, Jessica has moved to um, a new institution and um so we kind of worked separately but together on this article and um, put together what we think is a pretty awesome article and um the idea behind it was we had the information ready to go um we had put so much into this presentation for those who couldn't attend annual conference or might have missed our presentation we thought this could be another this could be another uh, space to capture what, what our message was in presenting. Um, so yeah, that was, that was our journey. And, um, you know, we kind of, at the end of it, we thought, wow, this is, this is a really cool way to approach a presentation and turning that presentation into an article.
0: Yeah. Cause um, you know, we were talking before we started recording about how Dr. Wendy Troxel from Nakata, um, you know, a lot of times says, you know, your presentation can be an, an article. Like you can, T- turn it into a publication um, and so just kind of like how you uh, already wrote a script for it uh, very similar like she'll say either write a script or record the presentation and then there's your first draft right there um, oh, yeah. but it can happen and you know so I guess what's your advice to anyone that's thinking like ah no that's not me I'll just go and present um, you know what's your advice to them saying hey you can actually do this
1: my advice would be as you're putting together your presentation, Create a script, create an outline. Um, I mean, most everyone creates an outline to a presentation, whether or not you keep it through the presentation or abandon it later or earlier on in the process. Um, I, my advice would be to keep, hold on to that uh, script or out, outline. And, you know, be as detailed as you can in in the presentation mode when you're, um, you, you know, when you're creating that outline. Um, be, be, Detailed. Uh, the more information you have, when you get to the article process, it's just a matter of whittling it and shaping it into the article you want it to be. Um, so keeping keeping that outline um, or script is is going to be really important. Um, and then you know, and then you have the foundation for your article. Um, and then the next part is just really uh, figuring out how you want to turn this into an article that captures your narrative. But fits the guidelines for the uh, publication that you're working with. We published with Academic Advising Today, um, and I I was familiar with the guidelines um, and really like the voice that Academic Advising Today gives to its authors. So that's that's why we landed on you know turning our presentation into an article for that publication, um, and with a goal in mind that we wanted to capture our voices in a digital article. <laughs> we wanted to make sure that the readers could hear, you know, our, um, our passion and our ideas uh, all in an article. So yeah.
0: Yeah. And if I don't forget, I'll try to link it in the show notes as well. So everyone can check it out too. Thank And you. speaking of academic advice today, and also another article that that you wrote, one was called uh, the why project helping students to define and value their academic purpose. And I really loved uh, this article that, that you wrote and especially like there was a response that you included in the article and it read, like, I truly believe music has the power to change this crazy, stressful world we live in. And it starts one child's life at a time. And I want to teach, inspire and get children involved in music while building confident leaders uh, of tomorrow. Uh, can you give us some insight on um, on this article that you wrote, like why you wrote it um, and what, you know, and because it was a lot of it was about empowerment.
1: Yeah, I would be happy to. Um I I really love this piece. Uh it's it has a special place in my heart. Uh so I I taught a first year Course um, for music majors while at Ball State. And um, as a way to engage them early on in their um, academic experience, I decided to do the why project, uh, which is to, I basically uh asked each student to share why why they are doing what they are doing. Um, why did you choose music? Why do you do what you do? And the point of having them write out this statement was: this is the statement that you're gonna keep with you. Um you're going to on the days where you want to quit where you know, you, you're just not good enough, you can't do it, that you look at this and remember why you choose to do what you do. Um, and, you know, this led into a really awesome um, conversation with my students. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, things can change, you can change your major, you can change your career path. Uh, but if you're just having those times where you hit the bumps in the road, and you want to go to the extreme and give up and quit, I wanted them to have this to remind them, um, you know, why they do what they do. And and. For me, as a music advisor, this is, it's even more, um, I guess it's relevant in the sense of these students are, especially if they're going out into the music industry, uh, where it's very competitive and, um, you know, where the, you're going to hear a lot of no's. Um, It can be discouraging. And I wanted them to have this statement early on to remind them academically and on the path of music that, you know, you have a purpose to you're here for a reason. Um, So, yeah, we we wrote the statements out together. I I think that day I brought pretty paper. I called it pretty paper and told them to bring their favorite pens. And we wrote out these statements. And um, and then so I was left with all of these. I think that year, actually, I also had them email me their statements and I kept them in a separate file. And as I'm reading through these one day, I thought, you know, like this is something that I I'd like to share with the advising community. Um, whether it just uh, is a happy story to read about, or if it inspires advisors to uh, do this this practice with their students, um, I found it to be empowering. For me, on the advising side, I learned so much about my students. Um, for the 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 student that I featured in the article, I learned so much about her that day. And for the students who are struggling, um, you know what. The best, I think the best story that I can remember from, you know, my advising journey is, um, a student, not, I think it was right before I left Ball State came in and, uh, we were talking about the why statement. And I said, Oh, and I, I recited the student's why statement and she looked at me like, you remember that? And I said, Of course I do. I saved all these and I know so that if you ever come into my office like today, I can remind you why you're here and it was just a really special moment um i i'm still in touch with that student um just just because of the connection we made through that so not only is it empowering for students but it's empowering for advisors in the sense that we really get to know who our students are so that when they're having those bad days we can pick them up if they need someone to help them
0: yeah because uh, sometimes yeah they they need that encouragement. sometimes we need that encouragement yes, we as do. well <laughs> Oh
1: yeah, I have my wife statement on my board. I keep it with me wherever I go. Oh,
0: you know, I think I need to do that. <laughs> Make sure it, I have one it. for my office as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, writing articles, you know, these are these are opportunities. Uh, turning presentations into publications into an article. Now, another opportunities um, that you've that you've, you're doing is you're also the chair for Nakata's uh, first year students advising community. How would you describe this advising community? Like, what are what are the goals?
1: Stay with us we'll be right back cracking the college admissions code just got easier i'm rebecca gordon your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous tune into the admissions game satire edition and uncover my top secrets for sure fire ivy league admission ditch the old photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick we reveal all the latest loopholes So laugh and learn with the admissions game, wherever you podcast. So this has been a roller coaster. I just started this past year and I love it. Um, So our community is, um, we are focused on all things first year students, first year student success. um, Some of our goals this year, since I've uh, joined as the uh, chair, um, we've been really focused on um, thinking about best practices and advising first-year students. And uh, we've really been focused on um, breaking that population down into uh, different populations, mm-hmm. subpopulations. Um, so currently um, one of our biggest undertakings in this year is we are, um, we are working on an article uh, surprise, another article um, f- for um that we hope to publish with Academic Advising Today, and it's centered on best practices. Um, It's based off of a guided discussion we had back in February with members from the community. Um, And again, we are using the article as a vehicle to showcase uh, our members and their voices and their stories. Um, And just kind of... Bringing together the ideas and practices we have when we're working with first-year students, so uh, with the goal of um, maybe getting to know our first-year students more, identifying their needs, and hopefully, you know, our greatest goal as advisors is meeting those needs. So it's been a it's been a like I said a roller coaster, but a really awesome roller coaster. Um, I've had i I've had the chance to meet so many different advisors from a across the world like everywhere um and um it's been really awesome to connect with with the i what i would consider to be my colleagues um mm. and uh and do good work so that that's why i joined the advising community in the first place and now to serve in this capacity is so exciting uh,
0: do you feel like it's going by fast
1: yes it is um. it is flying by i mean annual conference in October. So um, it's flying by. But I was so nervous to take on this type of leadership position. And if anyone who's listening is, you know, considering taking on a leadership position, I would say go for it. Um, this was my first big leadership, uh, you know, uh role. And I have just, I, I have loved it. I've had so much support from Nakata and um, the community steering committee that I have, um, that it's, It's truly been just a pleasure to uh, do this. And I'm like, like with my articles and everything else that I do, I'm thinking, okay, what's next? What can I do next?
0: Was there any, anything in particular that made you decide like, you know, now's the time, let me put my, you know, name in the hat to, you know, hopefully be the, the chair of this advising community?
1: I just... I know that everything that I've done so far with Nakata has, uh, has propelled me forward uh, professionally, personally. Um, And I kind of just, yeah, nothing pushed me in particular other than, you know, I, everything has been so rewarding, trust the process, go for it. Um, And I thought, you know, if all else fails, I'm still a part of the community. Um, And so, yeah, I just took the leap of faith. Um, And I, I mean, for me, professionally, I've definitely wanted to be um, I wanted to take on a bigger role, you know, for my for the community. And, um, you know, for me personally, so that I could uh, learn from my colleagues and become a better advisor and, and then also really, really learn what it means to take on a leadership role. And I'm telling you, I'm learning a lot.
0: A lot of the interviews that I've been on this podcast, and just even conversations that we will have, you know, that you probably have at conferences, you know, a lot of people are always wanting to know, how can I get more involved? How can I get more involved? And, you know, sometimes we're giving those reasons, hey, this is why you should get involved. But nowadays it seems like there's so much more work at, you know, in the jobs that, that we have um, so many more needs uh, for our students um, and that we need to be there for so many more changes uh, <laughs> ever since the, the pandemic. Um, so you might have some people who are like, I want to get involved, but I don't know if I'm going to have the time, like, or, you know, is it going to be worth it? Um, what would be your response to that?
1: My response would be, there's so many ways to get involved. Uh, not, It doesn't have to be leadership. It could be just by joining community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, one of the greatest parts about being a part of a community is you're you are learning more about the um, community of students or topics that you are really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if you don't have a lot of time, joining those communities is a great way to be connected. Um, All of of the um, advising communities offer presentations, uh, coffee talks, you know, just really casual events, um, professional development opportunities like writing an article. Mm -hmm. Um, so get involved with the community. Um, that's what, that's the first step that I took, uh, kind of just joining the communities that spoke to me and then, um, and then going from there, um, you know, if you're not necessarily, um, If you don't have the time to do to join a community, you know you can also look into publication, um, lending your voice via writing. Um, So that's that's another outlet. There's so many outlets that I would just say, um, find what works best for you, but get involved. Um, Nakata has so much to offer. Uh, So you can, if you can find time, um, definitely um, definitely explore those venues. And we get emails all the time. Um, I I applied for the leadership position from an email that I read, I saw that it was time for elections and, um, that's kind of what inspired me to, to take the leap was, uh, you know, via email, um, sharing the information. Um, yeah, I think that would be my, my, my little piece of advice. Although you're very right. There is a lot going on and we all are very busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But like you're saying, like with, uh, you saw, saw like the kind of announcement in the email, so anyone listening, please look at those Nakata emails. Yes. Like You'll get like the Nakata Next Week emails. You'll get the monthly Nakata Highlights email. Um, so there's, you know, I know it's a lot of tech sometimes on those emails, but just go through it. There's so many options, opportunities in there. You just got to see it. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so definitely take advantage of that. And, you know, outside of advising, you know, you're, you're a professional singer, you're classically trained. What's that adventure been like?
1: Oh, it's been an adventure. Um, I'm, I've been very lucky that, you know, I've happened to be the academic advisor of music along with this. So it's been a great way to continue my path in music, um, while advising, um, so, yeah, I uh, finished my Doctor of Arts. So I'm now Dr. Cosin, and um, I teach voice. Uh, so on the side, I teach private voice uh, to students um, and I try to maintain a performing uh, schedule when I can. So it's uh, it literally is when I can fit it in. Um, I love to do I love to give recitals. So a lot of what I do currently is recital work. Um, I love musical theater. I primarily sing classical repertoire, although, um, you know, if someone asks me to be a part of something musical, I will say yes to it. So I've done some different things. Um, I'd say the, anytime someone asks me to share my, uh, what is the most interesting thing about you? Um, it is that I have sang with the Rolling Stones. Um, and that one always perks everyone up, um. So I just say yes, like I do in advising, I say yes to opportunities and uh, take those opportunities when I can. Um, And, you know, that has brought me to, you know, I went to Belgium a couple years ago and had my uh, international singing debut, um, Bar Harbor Music Festival. So it's, it's fun and interesting and quite an adventure to keep singing uh, while pursuing. But I do keep singing because not only do I love it, but I want my students to see that you can do, you can do this. Uh, And uh, sometimes your, your cookie cutter picture of what your career will be will not be that at all. But as long as you keep doing what you love, you know, that, that will bring you happiness. And so that's what I do. I keep singing and I keep telling the stories and keep advising.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of your stories, you know, can be summed up with like that you lead by example, you know, and a lot of what you do is to show your students like, hey, you can do this. And there's so much out there. And, you know, I know we were talking, you know, Chad a few months ago, and you had just mentioned about like the uh, Rolling Stones. So because you hadn't mentioned that that's something you kind of like stumbled upon uh, for that, right?
1: Yeah. So I was, uh, graduating with my masters here in Chicago and, uh, they, the Rolling Stones were coming through town for their, I, I should know what anniversary tour it was. It was a crazy number. Um, and, uh, that, you know, they their. um, it's like their iconic hit. You can't always get what you want. They need the classical choir, uh, to sing on stage. And so they hired, um, a group of us from for my school. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a three day, um, event. We did three shows with Rolling Stones and, um, I have never experienced anything like that and I'm not sure that I ever will again, but it was amazing. Um, we, we sang for a full house three nights in a row and I will never stop telling this story because I'm like, when I got, when I got the opportunity, I knew of the Rolling Stones, but I, wasn't a frequent listener or you know I I was busy studying classical repertoire. Um so so you know telling my parents and friends and family was was awesome because they knew who the Rolling Stones were. Um so something I'll cherish forever and I'm I'm using that as my interesting story until someone doesn't know who Rolling Stones is. <laughs>
0: right. Now they just keep going. So. They keep
1: going. They're still rolling. <laughs>
0: But this has been an an exciting, fun interview. I I knew from the start when we had chat a few months ago, I was like, this is going to be great. So if anyone has any questions, wants to connect, um, how can they reach out to you?
1: So I am very old school. I'm not on um, social media, surprise. Um, So you can email me um, at kcosin at column.edu. I would love to receive an email. Um, and I also have a website. So if you are curious to hear some of my music, uh, it's www.kelseycosin.com. Um, and I have all kinds of music for you to listen to. So yeah, I would love to connect.
0: Yeah. So listeners go check that out. And then if you see uh, Kelsey at a conference, go up and meet and, and chat about Rolling Stones, chat about music, (laughs) chat about everything advising and a lot of the stories, you know, that that you've heard today, and I'm sure there's a lot more too, uh, that, that um, Kelsey will be able to uh, chat about as well. But Kelsey, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. I am so excited to be here and thank you for taking the time to talk with me.
0: Kelsey, thank you for reaching out and being on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and learning more about your love for music, advising students, and leading by example for your students. Keep up the brilliant work. Now I'm turning it over to Jamie Ingle as she interviews Becky Ryan.
2: All right. Thanks as always, Matt. Appreciate it. Okay, folks. Well, today I have the pleasure of interviewing my dear Nakata and just life friend, <laughs> Becky Ryan. Uh, Becky is the undergraduate program coordinator for the Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of wisconsin Madison. Uh, She's been active in NACADA since 1996, including presenting numerous times at the National Conference in concurrent sessions and pre-conference workshops. She has served as regional representative for NACADA, faculty for summer institutes, chair for a NACADA regional and a WACADA state conference, president of Wisconsin Academic Advising Association, Wisconsin state liaison to NACADA, currently in her second term, did that few years back, and we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) And she has also served on NACADA's Professional Development and Awards Committee. Uh, Becky has written for the new Advisor Guidebook and Academic Advising today. Her favorite topics are Advising Management, Advisor Training, Advising Curriculums, Collaborative Relationships, Undecided Students, Integrating Academic and Career Advising, and The Value of Liberal Arts. Becky, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing up in Wisconsin?
3: Thank you, Jamie. It is a gorgeous day up here in Wisconsin, Um, one of like 20 days out of the year where it's legit gorgeous. And let me just say, I am super honored to be joining you today. It's really a big deal for me to be joining, not only such a fabulous up and coming professional, but somebody I really do consider to be a friend.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today.
2: And, and you could be talking about me or Matt and that. So <laughs> That's also true. That is so true. But thank you so much. No, we're excited to have you. Um, well, I, I'd love to get started with, um, you know, something that I don't even know how much you and I as friends have discussed how did you get into advising? Tell us your journey,
3: please. Well, that's a great question. Um, where to start, right? So I was born back in, okay, no, I'm kidding on that. Um, I got into advising um, pretty much right away in my career, and I was lucky, lucky enough to have paid attention to some of the important cues in my life. Um, I'll just put out there, I'm a first-generation college student. I knew early on that I would absolutely go to college. I came from a family that didn't necessarily have um, lots of money to throw around because I was one of seven children. And so when I went to college, I ended up being the first one in my family to do so and and paid pretty much 95% of that college degree out of my pocket. So, you know, that said, it did take me some time. Um, and I tell my students all the time, doesn't matter how long it takes you, as long as you do it. Took me seven years. Um, and in my experience, that was just right for me. And along those uh, journeys of college courses and trying to figure out what I was going to do, I always knew that I was kind of a people person. And without much thought at all, I decided to be a psychology major. And like many students in the undergraduate experience, I decided psychology. And right away, I had some assumptions about what that meant for me. And um, of course, that meant that I was going to be a counselor of some sort. Um, But at the time, I was working and paying my way through college. And I was able to do so by way of my awesome bartending job. Um, Bartending helped me get not only my undergraduate degree, but also my master's degree. And um, I was making pretty good money as a bartender. So I got about three semesters away from graduating. And I went down to our careers office. Literally, in those days, it was a binder, for those of you who get that reference. And I was paging through the binder of what I was going to do with my psychology major and what kind of counseling jobs. And immediately deflated when I saw that all the jobs that I thought I could apply for paid quite a bit less than my current job as a bartender. And I went through a moment of, oh, my God, I put all this work in for all this time, and I'm going to have to stay a bartender. Um, Thankfully, my curiosity got the best of me, and I paged a little forward into that binder, and I started seeing all kinds of really cool jobs that I'd never even thought of before, and that I was absolutely in line to apply for. And that got me thinking, all right, so I can do a whole range of things. And the next thing I did was I sat down and did some career exercises. And one of the things that kept showing up in my top three list was high school guidance counselor. And I was like, oh, I could totally do that. I could totally be a high school guidance counselor. So thankfully, again, the person I was working with at UW Parkside at the time, said, you know what, Becky, that's a great idea, but the next step is to actually go check that out and investigate it a little further. So she helped me set up a volunteer experience where I went and actually worked with my former high school guidance counselor at Case High School in Racine, Wisconsin, a high school counselor who I loved and got along with very well. And I started that volunteer experience and real it didn't take me long to realize that that little like 20 minute slot that I had with her once a semester was not really very representative of the job overall. And when I finished that three month experience, no offense to the high school guidance counselors out there, but for me, I was like, there's no way I want to do that. That's just not my gig. But I still credit it as one of the most important experiences that I had because it allowed me a chance to think about what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And frankly, what I liked about it was I got excited when students came in and talked about their future and what they could do and how they were going to go to college or go on for this additional education in some way and had big dreams for the life. I loved those students. The students I didn't like were the ones that were like, I don't want to do anything. I don't even want to be here anymore. That's, you know, for me, that was frustrating. And I figured out that if I worked in a university setting, that I would skim all those students out and I would be working with students who have already made the decision to do something exciting with their life. So from that point, I enrolled in the uh, master's program at UW-Whitewater, uh, guidance and counseling with an emphasis in higher education, and frankly, the rest is history.
2: Here I am. Beautifully said. Now I know the full story. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that's, you know, um, not an uncommon sentiment. Tried the guidance counselor thing and decided I want to work with college students. I certainly, I did a bit of substitute teaching uh, while I was finishing my master's. And I was like, yep, cannot wait to work with students that are here by choice <laughs> and ideally passionate about what they're studying, though we know that's not always the case. So I feel that's a good transition into my next question, which is, what has been your favorite thing about the advising profession and or Nakata involvement?
3: So for me, once I got into... Once I made the decision to go to graduate school, get a master's degree, I started working at, once again at UW Parkside, and um, they graciously took me back. And I worked in sort of a split mode of being an academic advisor and being a career advisor. And it didn't take me long to figure out that they were virtually the same job with different titles and different nomenclatures, perhaps, and. I decided the best way to get students in early is to call yourself an academic advisor, but to do career advising with those students. And it was this sort of aha moment that I had that, you know, and I was guilty of it, too. I did not go and see a career advisor until I had like a year to go. And at that point, I Sort of regretted like there was so much I could have done, so much more I could have known as a first generation college student and many others, frankly. But I did not know what I did not know. And once I started piecing that together, I started thinking, I'm going to be an academic advisor, but I'm going to do career advising. I'm going to start those conversations early on. It's not going to be just about what you should take, but why you might take that and and how can we connect that to bigger goals in your life? So what I have always loved about advising is the opportunity to have really meaningful conversations with students about who they are, how they got there, and where they might go, and try to break down some of those stereotypes about the same ones I had. I'm a psych major. I guess I got to be a counselor, right? I couldn't be more wrong. It's one of the reasons I love talking about the value of liberal arts, because it's not about the name of your major, really, ever. It's really about the name of your degree. And in my case, it was a liberal arts degree. And once I understood that, I understood that I had way more options than I had originally thought. And so as I was doing my master's degree and doing these experiential things, I started piecing these things together that just made sense to me. And I decided that I wanted to be the advisor I never had, the advisor that I could have used, especially as a first-generation person. And I had nobody literally to tell me what I didn't know. You know, making a lot of the same mistakes and a lot of the same Um, stumbles that lots of students have. And I wanted to save students that time and money. You know, frankly, education is expensive. So one of the things I love best about advising is, of course, working with the students. But even a little more than working with the students, I love training and teaching other advisors about how to think differently, how to do their work, how to bring in new perspectives, how to use stories and metaphors and other ways to think about creating these messages for students because, you know, maybe had I had somebody like me as an advisor, maybe it wouldn't have taken me seven years. Maybe I would have known about the opportunity to study abroad. Maybe I would have known about things that would have been moved me down the path a little quicker, right? So the only regrets I have is now that I have insight, maybe I could have done it a little quicker. Maybe I could have saved a little money on it. But what I really love is being involved in the community of advising not only for the benefit of students, but for the benefit of each other. I I totally get that.
2: Definitely enjoy connecting and getting other advisors engaged. And yet again, we have a great transition into my next question um, or maybe statement, which is you mentored our good friend, a very important person in the association, uh, JP Villavicencio from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, Tell us about your time advising, mentoring JP and, and sort of, you know, that that growth you've seen from <laughs> from all that time ago.
3: Well, you know, it takes a village. Right. And I've also had my own mentors, you know, namely George Steele, Don Wilson, among others. And so when I was, you know, back in the day, back when JP was, you know, an undergraduate, he worked for my office as a peer advisor. and. Um, you know, fate saw to it that JP and I worked together very often in the Lakeshore Residence Hall office, and so JP would sit there while I would do my advising, and then I would draw JP into the conversation, and we really had, you know, a really great working relationship together. And um, it was quite a moment for me when JP decided that he wanted to go on and pursue the field of academic advising and. Um, i felt like maybe i had a little bit of a role to play in that i have never been more proud than what Jp has been able to achieve i am one of his biggest cheerleaders now and he's you know far more advanced and far more along the path of advising administration than i could have ever hoped to be um but we still have a very good relationship and i think he is going to be an outstanding leader for the organization for advising and for nikata
2: I completely agree with you. I think it was in Cincinnati that I realized for the first time that JP is a few months younger than me. And I was shocked because I look up to JP so much. And um, and I should have said this at the beginning, but of course, JP is a former podcast guest. He's been on at least one of our episodes. Um, and also we have JP to thank for introducing Becky and I. He co-chaired what would have been the 2020 Region 5 Conference in Milwaukee that was unfortunately canceled two weeks prior. Um, Becky and I, along with some other wonderful people, were um, on that on that conference planning committee, and then we got to remain on the planning committee to do it virtually in 2021 with Region Three. So, big shout outs to JP all around.
3: <laughs> shout outs to JP. That's right, that's right. <laughs>
2: we heart JP. We heart JP. <laughs> all right. Well, now back to your Nakata. You know your your sort of passion for being involved in the community. Um, Some podcast listeners, you know, that have been involved, maybe for a little longer may remember and recognize your name from some of those um, big presentations that you used to do back in the day with your colleague Don. And I think there were two of them. Let's talk about, let's first talk about the um, the advisors who talk too much. I, I don't think that was the title, but tell us about that, how that came about. What's the idea there?
3: Well, actually, I would like to start at the beginning. Um, And it was actually in 1998, Nakata was in San Diego. And my colleague, Don and I were sitting in a lounge watching the Packer game. And I'm pretty sure it was the Viking Packer game. And it was not too pretty for our beloved Packers, that's for sure. So we were all getting a little grumpy. And my friend Don, um, who is now retired, leaned over to me and he said, you know what, I think we should do a presentation next year and we're going to call it the seven habits of highly ineffective advisors. And it was really sort of a tongue in cheek comment. And I was like, I love that idea so much. And Don then uh, went and took a six month sabbatical to South Africa. And so I was left behind here in Wisconsin, put together this uh, proposal and abstract. And lo and behold, we um, got the seven habits of highly ineffective advisors approved for presentation in 1999 in Denver. And it was a big hit. I think the title alone drew a lot of advisors in. But what was the bigger hit of it? was that Don and I were, you know, not unlike you and I, Jamie, we were a little bit of a comedy team together. And so we decided we would role play each of these habits of the advisors. And I can still remember how much laughter was in the room that day. People cracking up. There were people sitting in the aisleway. They were sitting behind us. They were, the room was crammed full and we had them all cracking up so hard. We had such a good time that we decided, when well, we're going to do that again. That was a lot of fun. So the following year, we did uh, training to avoid the seven habits of highly ineffective advisors, followed by the next year, understanding the advisor and you, a key to avoiding the seven habits of highly ineffective advisors. And then we thought maybe we really you know, killed the hell out of that topic. So we started venturing out and it was always important to us to do things that we thought were pertinent, uh, practical, and had an air of humor about it, right? If you can't poke fun of yourself, there's some, some problem of all. So the, the one that you're particularly talking about was by far, hands down, my favorite conference session title of them all. And I wish I had it in writing, but I'll say it slowly. That title was called "On." And on anon, a ten-step program for advisors who talk too much. And yes, it was just as funny as the title. And and the thing is, people see themselves in this material, right? And we would take things really to the to the obscure extremes, so that nobody was all the way there, but we all saw a little bit of ourselves in these caricatures that we were portraying. And Don and I had a very successful 11-year straight run on these concurrent sessions that we did. And each year getting more and more popular. And, you know, I can remember the first year in 1999 having a regular old-sized concurrent session room to year 11 when they put us in a room that sat like 400 people. Because every year we would get more and more people to come and we just, we were having a lot of fun. And um, that 11th, actually, the 10th session was Stephen Covey had just come out with his eighth habit. So, of course, we were like, well, you know, who would we be if we didn't have the eighth advising habit, which was called Oblivion? And we had the five dark shadows of Oblivion, and it was also very funny. The 11th year was really just a recap of all of our presentations ever, and that we ended with a little, believe it or not, we ended that with a little dance routine at the end of that but also along the way we did easily four or five pre-conference sessions Um, those were a little bit more serious in nature often um, having a lot of self-reflection involved in those pre-conference sessions Um, writing chapters for the monographs and being involved in summer institutes was a lot of fun and when you do a good conference presentation, you really do feel the generosity of the membership saying to you, I needed that really bad. At one time, I got an evaluation that I still have hanging on my wall in of my office that the that the person wrote on the bottom of it, this session alone was worth, worth the cost of attending this conference, which I paid for out of my own pocket. Thank you very much. And I thought if i get if i never get any good evaluations after that that one just made my lifetime it was the most heartfelt special um evaluation that we had received but so we we do these presentations we we'd have not only fun putting them together but fun delivering them and it showed and you know it's part of my time with Nakata that i miss frankly cuz it's sort of behind us now but um you know, get involved and have fun. You don't have to be serious when you give those presentations. In fact, if if anything we learned was the more ridiculous we would get in acting these things out, right? So it just goes to show you that learning is more fun when it's fun. What a sentence to wrap that
2: up with. That was beautiful. (laughs) And I do, fortunately, I do know Johnny Carson, um, but but I think I'm right on the cusp and I I think I can thank my parents for that. Um, Also infomercials. Um, <laughs> would you? I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but would you run through maybe some of those ineffective habits, or maybe give us your your favorite ones? Or <laughs> oh,
3: you are putting me on the spot. There are seven of them. I know. <laughs> um, well, there was the all-knowing oracle. um That one had to do with thinking you know what the student's going to ask you before they even ask you the question. And so when we role played that one, um, I played the student and Don had the (laughs) towel on his head and I would say, Hey, so my name's Becky. And I just went out and Don would say, Oh, hold on, hold on. A message is coming in. And he would have a card to his head and he'd be like, the ride board is located outside of every residence hall. And I'd say, Oh, I was, actually going to ask you about what courses I could take for my ethnic studies. Right. So, so that was a pretty funny one. Um, There was another one I want to say it was called to do with being distracted. So once again, I played the student in that particular role play and I would be like, so I'm having a little trouble with my roommate. And then the phone would ring and Don would be like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Nancy. Oh yeah. Can you tell the car? I got the oil change at noon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, right. So what were you saying? And then I would say, well, I'm having a little trouble with my roommate. Hold on. Nancy, I almost forgot. <laughs> so, you know, the distracted advisor. We also had one that was called the, um, the human file cabinet where we all have this knowledge in our head, but maybe it never gets updated just like that stuff in your file cabinet. And so, you know, when we role play that one, it would be like, so... I was looking at the requirements for the Spanish major and then Don would say, oh yeah, you got to do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, well, that's not what it says on their website. Right. Oh, did they change their requirements? And I wasn't told that. Right. So there, there are seven of those and they're all like that. Um, I have joked, Jamie knows I have joked about this with her, that maybe we should recap seven habits and try to bring that back into rotation just because it's so fun to do and, just a lot of good fun reminders about how not to get stuck in a rut with your advising role.
2: Maybe we can, uh, yeah, let's, let's um, bring it back to life for, for Orlando next year. Maybe.
3: I mean, I think Orlando's next year. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did one of them. I think number two happened in Orlando. I'm not positive about that timing, but I think it's, on. A, you know, you know, Let me just add, we would get these ideas for these presentations just based on what was happening around us. And when we came up with the idea for on and on and on, it was because we were actually at at an annual conference. I'm pretty sure it was in Cincinnati. And Don was on his way to the hotel from the airport. And the taxi driver said to Don, like, so what are you, who are all these people that are in town? Like, what do you guys all do? And Don said, well, you know, we're academic advisors from all over the United States. And the taxi driver said, well, you sure do all like to talk a lot. Right. So we we cracked up so hard at that. We're like, that's a session. I mean, we, we got to the point where every time we'd have a conversation, we'd be like, that's a session. Right. So, you know, session ideas are all around you at any given point in time
2: so good and I know you've told me that story and I always forget that that led to then this incredible presentation
3: (laughs) my background as a bartender I've always toyed with the idea of doing a presentation that would be like advising as bartending and we would role play it and somebody would come in and I'd be the bartender i would be like what do you have oh you want the usual again okay let's talk about that
2: All right, ideas, ideas. We'll we'll chat after the interview. (laughs) Mine's open to it. That's right. Well, and and and, you know, you have been involved, like you said, with the association for for a little while, particularly within our beloved Region Five. You know, I was interested to hear about. I I know, was it during your chair term or before your chair term that you you chaired that Madison conference in the early two thousands that at least up until then, was one of the most successful Nakata conferences. Tell us about that.
3: (laughs) It was 2003, and it was the first year, I'm pretty sure about this anyways, it was the first year that Nakata had decided to try a joint conference. So we were paired with our neighbors to the west. I think it's region four, but, you know, I don't want to make any promises on that. It's region four. But so we had to do some planning and we were going to bring them in. And, you know, the the numbers of people that came to that conference that year broke all the records. There was you know, huge attendance from both sides, more than what each would have gotten on their own. And we held it at the beautiful Monona Terrace in Madison, which was a fairly new building at the time, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, but never built by him in his lifetime. And then Madison came back around and, and built that in you know, the late 90s, I believe is when it was completed. And we welcomed people to Madison and to the Monona Terrace and had just an amazing conference that had Abcock ice cream and Charlie rides and all kinds of fun and, and lots and lots of attendees. I mean, that, that record has been surpassed now. But it was something we held in very high regard. And so that was in March of 2003. And then in October of 2003, I officially assumed my position as the Region 5 chair following in George Steele's footsteps and um, continued to make some waves once I was in that role, um, including... Uh, pushing for, really fighting for regional awards at that time. Um, Our region is big, as you know, and we have a very dedicated and passionate group of members that are here. And we were making some money with those conferences. And frankly, George and I felt like we wanted to give that back. And so we wanted to create these awards. There was a little concern by the national office because they had awards and how would that work together? But we said we will work it out, and there's no such thing as too many awards, and and now it's amazing to me that I'm pretty sure every region now has an awards, an awards, um, whatever you would call it, awards program, um, and I feel like Region Five really led the way on that, um, namely just me taking the helm from George and continuing to push that forward. So I, I really feel proud of our region. I feel like our region has been a trend in many ways and for many things, including regional awards and affiliate organizations, because we were also pushing very hard at that time to make sure that each of our states and our province of Ontario um, would have a state level or province level um, organization. So in Wisconsin, we had Wakata. In my time as region chair, Mia Kata came on board. OHA was around for a while. Ilakata was around by then. And we really wanted to amp that up and continue that collaboration because, you know, it really a lot of advice goes back to my being a first-generation college student because it's about access and at what level can you access things. And not everybody can travel to national conferences. State-level conferences can provide really awesome opportunities as well. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think you enter into professional development at whatever level suits your comfort and your and your pocketbook, right? So I think the awards and the organizations, George and I were on the same page that we wanted to really create as much accessibility to advising professional development as we possibly could.
2: Well, and certainly the region, continues to thank you both for that, you know, definitely um, I, as the current region five chair could not be more proud of all the accomplishments before you two, since you two, you laid a very solid foundation that kind of made it easy (laughs) for me to come into the role and know that there's already such a robust, you know, awards program and everything. Um, And region five is excited to be adding some new awards. Shout out to our awards chair, Rachel Polowski for doing a lot of work on that, that sort of thing. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Giving back to the, giving back to the membership. That's what we're going to try to try to keep doing. So, well, with, with that, Becky, I want to thank you for your time today. Is there anything else you wanted to say um, to the listeners?
3: (laughs) Are you giving me a microphone right now? That's very dangerous. (laughs) Unstructured. Uh, I mean, I I have no, you know, special words of wisdom. Um, I will say, as a person who really found her way in advising, coming from you know, where I came from, a first-generation student. I literally had no advising when I was an undergraduate. And when I got involved, I just chose to get involved, right? There's no barriers to that. Like sometimes I think it's a big scary step for people to be like how do you I would have people ask me like how do you get to do all this fun stuff and I would say I just volunteer to do the fun stuff right um I also am a believer that it never hurts to ask I ask for a lot of stuff and I get a lot of yeses right but you will never get a yes if you don't ask you might get some no's who cares boo-hoo get a no right but you're never going to get a yes if you don't ask you're never going to get things handed to you if you don't choose to get involved. So, you know, it has made my professional life really special to be a part of NACADA, to have been a part of them for so very long, to have seen many changes in the organization. It really does, sounds cliche, but it really does feel like family to me. Some of my closest friends I have met through NACADA, including Georgia Peg Steele, Eric White, Among numerous others, including you as well, Jamie. And, you know, as me saying to JP, if you really want to be in advising, get involved in Nakata. And he took that advice wholeheartedly. It really will change your world, change your life. So I guess I would just leave everybody listening to the podcast. Like if you're not involved already, why not do it? It's fun. And there are so many different ways to get involved. You don't have to necessarily stand in front of a group and talk. I like that. But I understand not everybody likes that, but you can write something, you can volunteer, you can organize something, you can lead a book club. There's so many ways to just participate in the community of advising that will make your jobs back at your individual institutions that much better.
2: Well, you heard it here, folks. I couldn't say it much better. Um, Becky, if anybody wants to get in touch with you about your experiences or any questions they might have for you, what would be a good way to, uh, to reach you?
3: They can email me at rjryan at wisc, W-I-S-C, dot edu. I welcome anybody to contact me.
2: (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much again, my friend Becky Ryan from the University of Wisconsin-Madison.
0: Thanks for guest hosting again, Jamie. Always great questions that you ask. And thank you, Becky. I wish I had been able to attend your presentations, especially for the seven habits of highly ineffective advisors. It seems like attendees had a blast as well as learned a lot during those presentations. And we are at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please give us a like and share on social media at Advising Podcast, as well as subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, keep advising.